Hey, if you're here, you're in the right place. I'm Tyler Freeland, and welcome to Season 2 of the Brand X Cleveland Podcast, a forum where expert voices come together, united for one purpose, to answer questions and have conversations centered around real business problems. You can find this episode, as well as previous episodes, at brandxcleveland.com. That's brandxcleveland.com. On this episode of the Brand X Cleveland podcast, I sit down with Senior Director of Strategy at United Soccer League, Adweek Executive Mentee and Adjunct Professor at the University of South Florida, Corey Bernstein. During this fantastic conversation, Corey and myself, along with co-host Charlene Coglin, discuss all things related to sports. We talk marketing, we talk fan development, we talk fan experience, advertising, and social cultural impact. And of course, we talk Cleveland sports. Here's Corey Bernstein on the brand seat. Corey Bernstein, currently the Senior Director of Strategy at the United Soccer League, USL, and I would say the Orlando Magic. Why's that? Uh, born and raised uh, okay. in, in Orlando. Um, okay. So grew up about 10 minutes from Amelie Arena. So oh, awesome. Saw, saw uh, firsthand the the launch of the new team with Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. That's so uh, cool. Dennis Scott, Nick Anderson, all those guys. So uh, that's awesome. Kind of just born and raised watching those guys. That's I awesome. Penny Hardaway jersey for the record. I used to wear one uh, during pickup basketball until I realized it was about ten sizes too small. Um, but I still have it in my closet. I sure. think what jersey is that? Penny Hardaway. Hmm. The champion one. Yeah. The, the throwback yes obviously and speaking of sports which will probably be a theme throughout this why did you take the sports route in business and marketing and i'd like you to walk us through that journey yeah you know sports was always um so i'm one of three boys uh so we like to call ourselves the bernstein bears and um <laughs> you know my older brother played uh baseball so i grew up around it and right. then I kind of followed in his footsteps and, and played throughout college uh-huh. and always had the understanding from a player side, just the impact the sport can have and having mm-hmm. lifelong friends and, and having teammates along the way. Um, but I really didn't know the business side of it. Right. So, you know, through that journey, I was decent at school, you know, learned a little bit about business and then realized there's actually schools where you could go to sports for sport business. I was like, well, um, that sounds like a good combo. So that journey led me to the University of Central Florida and the DeVos Sport Business Management Program, which um, I think there was a a pretty cathartic experience to learn um, all the avenues you could go into sports. So you can apply your business acumen, but also work in, I would say, one of probably three or four different platforms that bring all walks of life together and it just has this yeah. powerful mechanism to bring people together um yeah and i know you know the folks at twist you know the cleveland roots run deep uh for yeah Rose. for sure absolutely and, you know people people are getting tattoos of cleveland browns logos like that doesn't happen mm-hmm. in a lot of other industries so i think based on the personal experience uh, that i had growing up um but then also the fact that you have the ability uh, and responsibility to actually create some positive change through your platform. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sports has has kind of fit really nicely within that intersection. What caught your eye 
while you were in the, in that college of uh, sports business? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say one, um, well, first it starts at the top, right? It's, it's the program director. So Dr. Richard Lapchick. Um, mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, I, I would just do a quick Google search, but he, he's, he's called the social conscious of sport. And wow. what made the program different and unique was that DE&I and social impact and social justice was just part of the DNA of the program, you know, way wow. before, you know, the much needed momentum that's, that's uh -huh. occurring right now. Um, and that really reframed, I think, for all of the students that go through the program of just what we're doing is much bigger than us. So that's yeah. one. Um, wow. Two, I would say... Uh, we were pretty fortunate to hear from some, some pretty uh, influential executives, but there was a class trip where we went up to New York and met with the NBA and MLS and MLB, NFL, went to Bristol to, to meet with ESPN. Wow. And I think that it exposed, again, just all the different avenues you can get into into sport. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say lastly would be probably the classmates. You know, I work with, you know, about three or four of them. Um, so lifelong friends, colleagues, and, and some of the brightest folks you'll meet. And so I think that network, um, and those relationships built through the program have just kind of stayed with me, uh, and, and mm -hmm. from now and probably until forever, which has been great. I love that. What was the, what was his nickname again? The conscious. Yeah. The social conscious of sport. Um, that's so amazing. What a Dr. title. I know it, it's kind of like anything else that you say after is just kind of like, Huh? I forgot, Sheesh. but he's yeah. um, just an incredible human being and, you know, worked very closely with uh, the apartheid during, you know, with Nelson Mandela. Um, so definitely someone to look up, you know, just to wow. educate yourself a little bit. For sure. And you said that you were decent at school. However, have you ever gotten anything less than a 4.0? Besides, <laughs> besides when you batted a 0.38 in your senior year of high school. Yeah, you know, um, that's probably why I turned into a pitcher in college because uh, I wasn't very good hitting. But then, ironically, I was very good at throwing fastballs down the middle for other people to hit. Um, yeah, you know, school, looking back, it's pretty funny. Uh, I exerted a lot of energy and resources into it. Um, looking back, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. probably would have uh, experienced and, and did some things a little bit different, but yeah. you know, I think it's just a little bit of innate uh, personality of wanting For to sure. exceed and, and not do anything just because it's good enough. You know, I, I yeah. wanted to, to, to deliver on everything. Absolutely. And then bringing in Charlene here, how did, uh, how did you two connect? What's this story going on here? What, what, what's the story, Charlene? Um, we were in the Adweek executive mentee program and mm -hmm. I think I just decided Corey was going to be my friend. And so he, <laughs> that's just how it happened. Um, I think we probably bonded over sports to start with. We talked a lot of baseball. I feel like our first call. Um, and then we've done, we did that passion project together around women and leadership and what it means for companies. And then we've just kind of hung out since we've got a little crew of what, eight or nine of us that I feel like we're always talking to each other, checking in, um, or doing happy hours whenever I get those scheduled. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a great summary. I, I would just say that week, you know, program has, has been amazing because I, I probably would have never, and hopefully that wouldn't have been the case, but 
to cross paths with 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 folks like Charlene and yeah. you know she hit on a, a lot of couple big things obviously the sport connection and I, I got mm-hmm. a buddy who's a Cleveland Browns fan so I could speak a little bit uh, eloquently to the struggle but also <laughs> the forever uh, optimism um, oh yeah but also like the projects and and working with the DNI group uh, for the women's group of getting some he for she allies and and realizing and truly understanding what needs to happen. Um, but then also I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with her during brand week um, mm-hmm. where we were fortunate to present around kind of all this great work that was happening in the D and I space, um, which was great. And she, she teed it up. She killed it for us. So we, of course she did. She always we kills following, it. Yeah. We were following her lead. All right. Yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> Smart man. Yeah. It's easy. Um, she makes it easy. Corey was one of what two guys in our women's group. And that I think spoke volumes to all of the women in the group that he was willing to, you know, get in a room with 30 plus type a women who want to blaze trails for other women and really spoke Mm -hmm. up on behalf of the he for she movement. And I found that to be super impactful. Mm -hmm. What was the passion project that you did? What was that? What did that entail? Do you want me to talk about it or you want to talk about it, Corey? Yeah, you go for it. I'll fill in the gaps here. So the mentees selected, I don't know, I think there were like probably 10 or 12 areas that we were interested in and you could pick where you wanted to spend your time, whether it was culture, um, black business, uh, career path development, and then women um, was uh-huh. one of them. So I was in the women's group, Corey joined us, and we kind of put together a plan for Ad Week on how they could really start to market to and build community around women in leadership roles and how to really elevate women in leadership roles. Um, uh-huh. Presented that at Brand Week together, and then hopefully Ad Week's going to move some of those programs forward. And Corey, you were in like two groups, I think, right? Yeah, I was in a couple. I, I would say, Tyler, the, the one thing that kind of resonated I mean, right, with any group like that, there's a million things that you can accomplish and, and try to tackle. The one that kept bubbling up, and, and I brought it up on a call too, is just this notion of typecasting. And uh, whether you are in finance or real estate or even sports, like, you know, we, a lot of businesses fall victim to that and, and either mm-hmm. consciously or not, um, you know, I, I've seen it and experienced it as, as well. And so, I think that group was a really good forum to talk about those conversations and have heartfelt discussions. Um, but then also hopefully, you know, leveraging the ad week platform to, to drive conversation and action. Um, right. That, for sure. That needs to happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the women's one, I was on the Hispanic and, and Latinx group as well, um, which was great. You, you probably wouldn't notice, but I am second generation Colombian American. Um, That's awesome. And so for that group, for me, you know, growing up in Ocoee, Florida, which there's probably no reason to go there besides driving by, but <clears throat> the acculturation um, w- was kind of accelerated. So I think working with that group kind of brought me back in a weird way, um, but fortunate it did, like trying to discover back my roots. You know, we used right. to go to Bogota, Colombia um, yeah. every year growing up. And, and so that was a great experience and just met incredible people. Um, yeah that we Absolutely. still connect with yeah that's awesome and um i'm actually drinking bush light because um what's this about you being a judge for the 2021 rising 25 star award oh yeah i think it is sponsored by uh anheuser-busch yeah um 
Yeah. So w- whether it is, uh, you know, coaching or I'm also an adjunct professor uh, teaching sport marketing, but again, in, in the post I just, I just did, I think one of the best things in whatever business you do is just cultivating, collaborating, and kind of celebrating just kind of that up and coming talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so front office sports is a great publication and media outlet covering the business of sports. And they mm-hmm. launched this program, let's say about three or four years ago. And basically it's who's the best of the best, who's represented this new age of executives and rising leaders in the business of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so fortunate to be a judge. Uh, obviously I aged out of that selection process a little while ago. Um, so, you know, honored to kind of be part of the process in, in, in that space. And I really Absolutely. love their thematic. They're going like this nineties theme. So yeah, I saw that. It looks so cool. Yeah. They did a little NBA jam. Yeah. Which brought, brought me back to me and my brother having yeah. uh, fist fights and arguments about who won. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a great program. And, and for anyone who's, who's interested, definitely apply. Continuing Any to be t- class president. <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta recount the votes on that, but, uh, but it's great. And you talked about being an adjunct professor, excuse me, professor. So a little bit of sport marketing 101. How does sport marketing different? How does it differ than other marketing? What, and what are some similarities? Yeah, you know, the class is probably, it's mainly seniors. And, you know, I, I was asked to teach it about four years ago in which the course wasn't taught at the time. So I had to build a curriculum from scratch and I just wow. tried to place myself in the student's shoes. Uh-huh. Um, so the curriculum is really focused on kind of two paths. One, the business side, right? And, and I'll, I'll get to your question here. Yeah, but sure. just kind of exposing them to the world of sport marketing. The other side is just personal development, like actually giving a damn about the students on like a one-to-one basis. That's and, awesome. You know, I'll have probably 30 to 40 students, which, which is easy to do. Um, and so we go through self-awareness assessments. We do informational interviews. They'll do a real world project mm-hmm. where they'll present to executives. And I found that to be a really, I think, point of difference and, and something that I'm placing a lot of attention to. On, mm-hmm. on the on the business side, Tyler, I think sports is unique because um, one, it's unpredictable. You know, you could have the same environment, same team go out there. You know, again, the Indians going out and playing 162 games, every game is going to be different. So, as a uh-huh. sports marketer, how do you plan around that? Um, given that the fee- the product on the field is unpredictable, uh-huh. I would say the other thing, and I think I mentioned in the onset, is just the sheer passion and identification with the, your consumers, in this case, mm-hmm. fans, um, you know, do I get really excited about oil products or like brakes? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is, is a little bit unique. I would say the inventory is perishable. Um, so that's why, you know, live sports is driving a lot of media rights deals and that probably one of the last things that's really driving live viewership or attendance. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of like basic ones. I mean, there's probably 10 or 12 more, mm-hmm. but the, the curriculum really focuses on the differences of sport marketing, uh, but also all the avenues you could go and explore um, to get a career in sports. What is the class? Pretty eye-opening. What is the class called? Um, what not to do in sports. No, I'm just kidding. It's um, sport, <laughs> sport marketing uh, at the University of South Florida. So Awesome. 
they uh it's a great group the grad program the vin export entertainment management programs you know top five in the world um so it's kind of like a feeder program uh, to get into the grad school and you've been involved with research before you even participate in writing a uh, a research article or journal, correct? Or something like that? Yeah, to a certain degree. We, in grad school, there's um, the Institute for uh, Diversity and Ethics in Sports, so the TIDES report. Um, and that actually, when we were doing it, again, when you when you look back, you're like, uh, we, got, we got a project here. But the report and what it does is actually, it places a grade on the racial and gender hiring practices of all the major sport leagues. Uh-huh. Uh, and also NCAA associations. So, you know, now again, it's, it's starting to be more of a topic of conversation uh, in which it should be. Uh, so uh-huh. back then during the grad school days, um, that was my GA uh, position of putting together reports, analyzing leagues year over year differences and hiring um, where are opportunities to get better. And, and, and now looking back, I'm, I'm honored to be part of that program and definitely something that needs to continue um, not only in sports, but I think just having that transparency and vulnerability for any organization. Absolutely. Kind of tackle those issues. Absolutely. You're, it's almost like you're, um, I guess, head of the, head of the ball or head of the game there. On yeah. That. I, and, and, and Lapchick knew all along, right? So he, uh, he, he probably should have listened a little bit. Yeah. More, he but... might put profit at the end of his title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And um, we talked about fan, de- fan development a little bit. And I don't have this question written down, but I was thinking about on my way home as far as this, the fan experience. And you talked about, you know, live sports. Where does it change? Not necessarily as the, with the pandemic or how does it, how does it change in the future? Are we watching it a live sport in VR? Are we or do we want to attend the games or how do you think that's going to go moving forward? Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, again, getting into the soothsayer a little bit, you know, I, I think the pandemic has definitely accelerated trends that were happening where you're still going to have your diehard fans that want to go to the stadium. Um, but I want to say the NBA came out and said a very small percentage and, and I'm not going to get the number, right. It could be one to 5% of the fans uh-huh. of the NBA are actually the ones who go to the venue in, this, in the arenas. That's interesting. Um, so as a sport property, you need to diversify the way you engage with your fans, um, not only to drive community and build fandom, but also to drive revenue. You, you, you got to diversify um, away from being solely reliant on the game day experience. And so right. with that comes, you know, Tyler, to your point, like, could you buy a season ticket pass or a game pass in virtual reality and sit uh, yeah. courtside with Jack Nicholas, you know, watching the Lakers type <laughs> of thing. Um, so I think, you know, the NBA in my honest opinion is probably the gold standard in a lot of areas. Right. And, you know, what they did with Michelob, I know that runs counter to your Bush light, but the, <laughs> the, the screen of like getting the fans to watch, you know, the, the bubble happen or, um, mm-hmm. you know, what we're seeing now with, uh, behind the scenes. And I think it just broke down barriers to entry to get a feel for making athletes human, um, yeah. about what it's like to go through the pandemic and to come out the other side playing. Um, so I think clubs and leagues are leaning into that more. They're definitely preparing when 
and now it's it's obviously happening more of when fans can come back to games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it really kind of put into focus just the importance of diversifying how to engage with with fans. Um, mm-hmm. And the NBA again with Top Shot, you know, with NFTs, non fungible tokens. I mean, they're selling basically limited licensed highlights uh, on the backs of blockchain technology and it's selling millions of dollars a day. Um, and so it's just all this innovation that's happening and taking yeah. place while leveraging the brand as kind of the, the core product. And speaking of bringing fans back, I think the Indians, Charlene, are having uh, 30, 30%. Yeah. The at-home opener. Are you going? Exciting. I hope so. Well, she usually goes to train with them. We do usually. Oh, a little, little batting practice on the field? Um, I did hang out on the field last year or two years ago, pre-pandemic. With how, do Frankie feel, how do you feel about, I know I was going to say, how do you feel about the new team? I don't want to talk about it. Sore subject? Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it right now, Corey. Mm-mm. I was going to say, I've only been to Cleveland twice. One was the 2016 Game 7 World Series, which is probably. Yeah, something. cool. Let's not go. Mark, <laughs> you know I don't want to talk about this. Something, something maybe not to talk about, but um, but great memory for me. You know? Yeah, great. Uh, going going with my dad. Yeah, going with my dad. So, I remember listening to that game. I was on a bus back from Prague, mm. and I was listening to it on the ESPN app. Very upset. And everyone's probably looking at you like, "What's going on with this guy?" I think everyone was asleep, so it was kind of a good, <laughs> good place to be at the time. I'll remember all of this when I host you guys up here this summer for a game. Perfect. I would love to. This episode's BrandX Partner Spotlight goes out to M Sales Growth Advisors. Any company can try to grow revenue by deploying unconnected tactics, but building for the future in today's rapidly evolving B2B climate means taking smart, proven, and sometimes bold chances. Helping you make insightful decisions based on a sound growth strategy is where M Sales Growth Advisors comes in. Their philosophy? We believe that every strategic sales plan to be successful absolutely must contain a sales mission. To learn more about M Sales Growth Advisors, visit msalesgrowth.com. That's msalesgrowth.com. So in regard to fan development, what are some elements that go into that? Do you have a favorite team? Everything Cleveland. Okay. Do you yeah. remember like your first experience with like the Browns that made you maybe a fan? <sighs> It was probably just my father um, Mm. and watching the games with him as a kid, Uh, not at the stadium, but um, on the television. So how about you, Charlene? Well, I'm all things Cleveland, um, as you know, after the past year of hanging out together. Um, I remember my grandma loved Bernie Kosar, like loved Mm. Bernie Kosar. So that's what made me fall in love with the Browns. And then the Indians were like, my other grandma loved watching the Indians. I fell in love with baseball. Like, I feel like baseball is such a pure sport. I think mm-hmm. we've talked about before. Um, and then, you know, LeBron loved him and definitely became a season ticket holder when he returned and was there oh. for the championship. Went to game Those were the good years. <laughs> um, and I think for me, it's just always been a part of my life. And so spending yeah. money on sports is very much a part of like my budget. I don't sure. even think about it. I buy tickets and that's what I want to do in the summer or whenever. 
Yeah. So I, the reason I ask, and, and I think that holds true for a lot of sports fans is, you know, from a fan development side that continues to evolve for the majority of it, it's either you played it, you attended with probably family or friends. So Tyler, in, in your case, I know it wasn't yeah. attendance. Um, yeah. Cause I, I lived um, 30 minutes South of Youngstown. So it was kind of hard okay. to get up to Cleveland for a game. So, so you played it, you watched it or you attended. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think those are three really primary drivers. And if you do all three, you know, research shows, you know, with ESPN uh, sports bowl, who we worked with quite a bit. Um, if you do that by the age of five, you have exponential percent um, to kind of be an avid fan for life. Wow. The only caveat to that is now the younger consumer, you know, sports is not as much of a priority. And so from a fan development standpoint, that's where you're seeing a lot of leagues and teams get into, you know, clubhouse or TikTok or Snapchat and try to drive fandom by compelling content and storylines to um, exclusive experiences with influencers that are very culturally relevant to them. Um, yeah. And also leaning into athletes. I mean, to Charlene's point, like LeBron and, and the impact and power and influence that these players have for the younger generation, um, they'll follow players more than they do teams. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's something to be said about that. And getting back to the fan experience, that's where, you know, the, the end game experience continues to evolve. Um, you know, you're seeing more um, venues put in, again, pre-COVID, uh, kind of these live, work, play type of outlets where there's an, there's an avenue where people can literally just go drink beer. You know, you can go drink your bush light and you're, yeah, you're back with, yeah, your back would be towards the game. You wouldn't even know what's going on. Um, Funny you bring that up, Corey. That's part of our original strategy for the Cleveland Indians in 2014. Yeah. We helped to name the corner bar, which is the hangout spot of for sure. Empire State. It is sold out every single game. You get a ticket and a for like $12 and a beer or two beers maybe. I don't remember. That corner is packed every single game no matter mm. how bad the indians are playing which we've had some rough yeah. um but that's like the place to hang out and that was our whole strategy around that make it For a sure. experience yeah so that that, will, that definitely will continue I, I do think sports is and you're seeing this now i know the vikings just hired their new cmo who came from pepsi i, I think sports has that built-in product but from a technology and sophistication standpoint in certain areas mainly around marketing, like personalized contextual marketing on the one-to-one basis. I think you're seeing sports teams get a lot more sophisticated in that space. So the fan experience for you, Tyler, resonates with you, mm-hmm. but you're, you might go to the same game as Charlene and Charlene's experience is completely different um, yeah. from, from seat to street, you know, type of thing. So uh, that evolution will continue to kind of accelerate here moving forward. Well, what about the fan experience because I'm, we talked about everything coming together in a, in a sport event. Yeah, I mean, all the ages, all the different creeds and walks of life mm. is how do you focus on one or two, or is it an overall experience? How do you get everyone engaged? It's a good question. I, I think it varies by club and, and what band 
in consumer, I guess, segments are, are most important in terms of probably revenue maximization, but also in terms mm-hmm. of probably long-term value, like lifetime value. So, you know, I, I would say LAFC is a great club in MLS that does a fantastic job of being one with the community, like mm-hmm. in Angel City FC, who's playing in LAFC Stadium. Um, I think the fan experience is, is, I think, positioned as not only what you experience with the brand at the venue, but also if you see them out in the community, it's, it's similar, it's consistent. Uh, yeah. When you see their merchandise, you know, it represents something much bigger than the club itself. Um, so I think it's a little bit of let's tailor the experiences to the consumer. Like LAFC has six or seven different hospitality outlets, you know, going back to Charlene's corner bar. Um, each of them are tailored to a different segment and it, it works. Um, but I think it really starts with building your brand with the community involved from the start. So by the time your team actually launches, you already have a community that's willing to, to go up the hill with you and a rally mm-hmm. cry. Um, and then it just multiplies. How do you get the fan that isn't a fan yet or not even a, a sports fan? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's, again, it depends on that fan who's not a fan yet. Um, you know, one avenue is going out into the community and being a advocate or a supporter and leveraging your platform to help small business owners, uh-huh. which, you know, maybe that small business owner had no idea that there was even a soccer team in your yeah. market, but the lasting memory they have is, oh, the Oakland roots, you know, they're, they're giving back to anti-racism efforts and they're helping women you know accomplish amazing things in the city of oakland i'm going to be a fan of that team um so i think that's one i also think diversifying your content and distribution and working with different media outlets that are non-sport related right um i think could help expand the the audience a little bit for the club Um, so maybe get maybe get not a sports fan but i'm a lifestyle fan and i love what they're doing so now they're going to follow me a little bit more or like Nickelodeon, how they did the, the yeah, slime I love that. to get kids. That was so <laughs> yeah. cool. I love that. That was so cool. I had a lot of friends on Twitter who were just watching that version of the game. Yeah, just just, just, to, taking, remin- just to reminisce too. Yeah, reminisce. So you, yeah, you, you have your folks like that grew up watching the, like the wild thornberries or rugrats or yeah. like uh, Hey Arnold. But then you mm-hmm. have that new age consumer who is learning the game of football and they see right. slime going everywhere when camara scored a touchdown or the saints scored a touchdown um i think that's a great example of a of a league that's trying to engage with that kind of up-and-coming consumer in different ways and charlene you were at twist i know you mentioned this a few minutes ago but when twist did the work for the cleveland baseball team um what was that like for you from an agency perspective how were you able to manage both the client and a huge client with um, creative. So that was my first account, actually, at Twist that I took oh, on. Oh, man. Um, was the Indians account. And welcome to the team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they threw me in like the two biggest projects in my first week. They <laughs> like 60 hours my very first week at Twist. <laughs> You're on a deadline. So I just. Like, You're still working over that. And she's, yeah, she's still here. Um, but I think for me, what 
Well, first of all, there's so much business behind the event and the sport itself that I think people don't realize, which is why I stay away from Twitter when they talk about, you know, certain owners and how they're making decisions, because I know there's more to it than just, Mm -hmm. well, Frankie Lindor is no longer on the team. Um, But for us, it was really, that year was the first year we focused in and the Indians focused in on building an emotional relationship with the fans. Previous to that, it was all about promotions, hot dog night, Mm -hmm. um, dollar dog night, uh, (coughs) firework night with themes. They'd never built that emotional connection in any of their advertising. So the three spots that we launched in 2014 were all about reminding people that this was their team, no matter if we were good or bad, but this was the team that came Mm -hmm. together. And that was the uh, second year we had Tito, I think first full season, we had Tito on board and he was, became this real brand ambassador for us. And we just, Uh I think six players on long-term deals. It was Corey Kluber, Jason Kipnis, Michael Brantley, kind of that core group. And we made our strategy around the fact that if you got to know the player and felt like you they were your brother or your son or your cousin, you'd be more likely to go to the game. So our whole strategy was around certain players and how could we elevate them. So we had Jason Kipnis doing funny things with Michael Brantley, or we did a Jerry Kipnis episode where he got to act a little bit, or we were telling the story of Corey Kluber or Tito and really making them feel like they knew, the fans knew the players and the players really bought into it too, which was great. That's what you need is the players to buy into it just as much as ownership and everyone else. Then from there, we just started telling the story of it being the place to be. You don't wanna miss out. There was construction happening and the whole theme for 2014-15 was around there's there's action at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario and you don't wanna miss it and telling the story of our millennial audience who's going for that social experience and the family Mm -hmm. who's going because baseball's this clean, pure sport that moms feel good about taking their kids to. Um, You know, there's some swearing here and there, but you're probably not hearing it. Still like this wholesome family event. And then the corporate sponsor who wants to take their client out and have a great night. And you can do that at the ballpark too. So we really focused on those three audiences. Sad to say, I've never been to a Cleveland Indians baseball game. My favorite. <laughs> I've been yeah, to Dodger I, I, Stadium. I've been to Angels. I've been to Levi um, Padres because when I was based in California, but never Cleveland Indians. Yeah, Petco's Petco's definitely up there for me. Um, you know, I, I worked at MILB a league office for about six or oof, seven years, maybe losing track of time here. But um, at the time, we had 160 clubs uh, during my time, and I've been to 120 of those. Um, so it was, it was a little bit of like diners, drive-ins, and dives meets Anthony Bourdain meets, um, <laughs> to, to Charlene's point, being able to see firsthand like in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or Hillsboro, Oregon, or, um, you know, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, the impact that a, a team can have when it's really, yeah. really ingrained in the community yeah um that was awesome experience like spring training was like that the number of people that come out for spring training when you know when i went there two i guess it was two years ago now just the fans that don't know these players but they just want to see really great baseball and have fun and it's cheap and it's accessible and you can bring Mm -hmm. your kids you can bring your grandparents you just have a fun afternoon I mean, we had a Trevor Bauer freak out at the one game I was at. But other than that, it was very wholesome. 
There was only one garbage can that was thrown. And I'll leave, I'll leave that one. <laughs> and there's a second part to that too. That's why I wanted to bring Charlene in to talk about that because on your side, Corey, just wonder if you could talk about like the agency or from a sport perspective, working with other agencies and how do you use them? And also I had a question about do most teams just have an internal agency that, that they use? Um, I can't speak to all of them. I, I know at the league office for, for MILB, um, we really went through a really good transformation of becoming a sales marketing and media agency for our 160 clubs. So um, with that process, we, we tried to elevate, you know, levels of sophistication from our end to help clubs out, especially on the creative side. Um, we did work with an agency and, and I would say it depends on the client, obviously, but our scope was really about um, understanding our fan better. You know, why, why are they fans of MILB, even if they are, um, why do they consume us? How do they consume us? And so a lot of that attention was placed on kind of the digital and social fan um, because we, we had a good pulse on who was coming to the games. You know, it's uh, we had a moniker, it's fun to be a fan. And, and so that meant something for different people. I would say the, the other side was creating kind of like these ownership platforms and, and these big kind of campaigns that, we could instill and drive from a national perspective, but then push down locally where the clubs have the ability to kind of customize and bring to life on their end. Um, so how do we structure that? What are these 10 pole moments? Um, can we latch on to a specific day or do we just create something new entirely that would help break through the clutter a little bit? Uh, so th those, were, those were kind of like two core areas in where we saw you know, a lot of value working with an agency. That's how we mostly worked with Indians. Like I got to send some really great focus groups that are still yeah. my favorite <laughs> memories. Um, just hearing, there was one guy who kept saying the word beast mode over and over again. And this was in like 2014 and the client okay. and I did not stop laughing. And still wow. when I see that client, we bring it up with one another. Um, but they really leaned on us to build those big campaigns that they couldn't build in house, but then they could take it and execute it. Sure. Mm -hmm. So if, once we came up with a big idea, they could change it if needed. If, you know, Michael Brantley hit a home run, then they insert that, that footage in based on the campaign strategy and structure. And it became, mm -hmm. our, it was a real partnership. I talked to that client probably twice a week, uh -huh. two full years. Um, Best friends. Always, what was that? Best friends for life. I mean, I hope so, right? <laughs> um, That's what so she we, does. We always were pushing each other back and forth. And, you know, we got into some good, conversations and debates about what to do and how to market. There was one around marketing to women hmm. that I was pretty probably strong feeling. Her. Um, and I know I pushed back on, but I think they found value in it too. Yeah. I would say Tyler too. The other things were, you know, the agency, what worked well is calling us out, you know, being very factual and honest about where we were as a business um, and not doing it in a demeaning way, but a constructive way of realizing right and auditing where we're at, but where we want to go, we got to do these things. So mm -hmm. I would say the third thing that was big and is now big at the USL where I'm at too, is just driving relevance. And mm -hmm. what are the storylines that we want to capture um, about, you know, a lot of great work that's happening because to a certain degree, 
you know, perception is reality. Um, but also we, we just need to get the message out a little bit more. So how do we do that in creative ways and different outlets, um, and lifestyle and community and beyond just the traditional, maybe baseball or soccer outlets? Um, how can mm-hmm. we diversify that? So that, that was another big area. I know we talked a, a little bit about, you know, the future of the, the fan experience, but how, how would you market sports or how, how were you able to do that during the pandemic or what type of uh, league or sports team really stuck out for you as a leader in all of this? Well, I, you know, in 2020, it was a lot of um, probably went through a lot of phases, like a roller coaster of kind of taking a pause, resetting, um, but then also leveraging what you can do to help out your community and your fans. Um, and that still continues today. Like there's a lot of stadiums now that are transforming into vaccine destinations and sites, you know, For sure. and, and again, That's it's big. more about, more about the societal good of you, you have a stadium that can hold 40,000 people. Let's use it to distribute vaccines and, and get right. us back together soon, you know? Right. Um, and speaking of that too, I was hoping with Coors Stadium in Colorado, I would have loved for them to do a shot and a beer. That would have been <laughs> so awesome. That, yeah, but, that, uh, that would probably be a decent partnership integration. That would have been um, sweet. Yeah. Do a little swag as well. Um, but you know, it's, and now I see it again, it's continuing to be cautiously optimistic. Um, I think clubs and leagues are being very over communicative right now on what measures and precautions they're taking to make the fan experience safer. Um, so whether that's leveraging contactless payments or entry to, I, I want to say Barclay center in Brooklyn are sending actual testing kits to their season ticket holders. Um, but, you know, to take before the game. So there's a lot of being communicative to let them know that we are going above and beyond to make you feel safe. On the other side, I, I think, again, it goes back to accelerating technology, you know, contactless payments, VR, AR, how do we bring people, you know, into the game? Um, and whether they attend or not is probably immaterial, but more so how do we lean into technology a little bit more? For sure. And what's next for Corey Bernstein, not Bernstein. Yeah. Bernstein for sure. Um, Oh man. It's a great question. I I would say I I tend to gravitate towards uh, opportunities and positions where um, obviously it's best for the family, but there's an opportunity to build something from scratch Mm -hmm. um, and to have a lasting kind of, um, not legacy, but just the ability to help build something. And we look back on it, you know, five years, 10 years from now, you'll be pretty proud. So been fortunate to have that with MILB in which we built that business. And now with the USL, which is an emerging property that a lot of people don't know about. Um, You know, it is the largest and fastest growing professional soccer league in North America. And, you know, we we're, we're coming up on our 11th year right now. And, there's just so much momentum. There's incredible clubs that are coming into the, into the league. And then there's a crescendo effect of, you know, in 2026 when the world cups hosted in North America. And so I did not know that there's a long runway. Um, I think the sport of soccer has seen a tremendous rise in the, in the U S and, uh-huh. 
you know, I, I strongly believe USL is kind of like the catalyst to help fuel the, the growth of the game across all levels. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's next for me is, is enjoying this ride and this journey. Um, yeah. But also realizing that, you know, whether it be the front office sports or teaching or building yeah. a team, you know, giving back to that next generation of, of sports executives, um, which is important for me. Dude, you do so much. That's, I don't even know how you even, you said, I think you mentor and then you teach classes for reading proficiency as well. Like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it all. There must be another Corey. Yeah, it's in the back. That's actually the Bernstein. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's one of those things, Tyler, where it is a lot of work and I put a lot of work into a lot of things, but when you're actually doing things you enjoy and love doing, you know, Charlene, I'm sure you can relate. Um, you know, maybe some Charlene don't than stop. others. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great t-shirt. Um, it's one of those things where you just, you, you kind of keep marching on and, and you, and you love doing it. So it doesn't feel like work, which is very cliche, but you know, it's just one of those things that drives me a little bit. I think we've had some slack conversations at 10 or 11 o'clock at night when we're both working. Yeah. I mean, I'm very Jeez. much a night owl. Um, so I, you know, maybe I need to work on that, but there's a great book called win by Daniel Pink. And, uh, there there's actually, he goes into the science of maybe the benefits of being a a early morning person or a lark or maybe a night owl, um, and when to do different tasks. So I'm trying to lean into maybe my habits and Mm -hmm. try to maximize those best as I can. What's the first sport? team or figure that comes to your mind shaquille o'neal orlando magic you got it breaking the breaking the shattering the the backboard in the glass